Welcome back to Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith. I'll be the host of this edition. Uh, Jake Fenner is out doing some top secret work, I think. Uh, actually, we don't know where Jake is right now. He's uh, He's been checked out for a little bit, but he'll be back and joining us shortly on the podcast. Looking forward to getting his voice back with us. So today we have a, a special guest with us in Tom Adams. Tom's one of our fine writers at BFW and also our tweet master. And uh, I'm looking really, I'm really looking forward to working with Tom on this. We have a, a great relationship on the site, and uh, we go back and forth on Twitter a lot. So, Tom, how's it going, buddy? Very good. Very, very glad to be back on this illustrious podcast. It's been what feels like forever, even though it's only probably been a couple of weeks, because uh, the last time I was on for, was for the Women's World Cup, which my predictions were awful for, and I really heard that from everyone on our channel. But nonetheless, very excited to be back with you chuck i know we're gonna have some fun here uh so without further ado let's uh let's crack on yeah no doubt no doubt and i guess the the main theme of this podcast is we're really going to start to look at the byron roster and the team and mostly through looking back at the international champions cup tour and seeing how not just the team overall developed but how some of the individual players progressed as each game went on and tom you know the first game that that byron had was the two to one loss to arsenal and obviously, in that game, Byron was a little bit slow. But there were some really good things that I thought came out of that contest. Uh, one of the not-so-good things was the play of uh, Louis Poznanski, who not only uh, had a part in both goals, including an own goal, but uh, found himself on a flight back to Germany to join Fortuna Dusseldorf not long after that game ended. So... Obviously not a great start to the tour, but I thought we saw a lot of good things uh, from Bayern to, to kick off the first game, and I, I came away impressed despite the loss. What did you think, Tom? Yeah, I mean, obviously you know going into the um, the preseason matches, especially with the first game against Arsenal, a lot of what we were expecting from Niko Kovac panned out. Um, I know that we had discussed off-air basically the differences between uh, the two lineups that he put out between the first half and the second half. Obviously a lot more youth in the first half, so we got a chance to see guys like Arp, uh, Johansson, Antunjas. I know that we <laughs> both are kind of butchering the uh, his last name. Someone out there probably knows it. They'll be listening. They'll you know let us know in the comments. But nonetheless, it was good to see a good mix of old and young and see some of those younger guys really get a chance uh, to show their stuff. I know that it was different for a lot of people in the squad you know guys like Benjamin Prevard uh, guys like Fida Arp versus you know some of the younger guys like Sarpit Singh Johansson Antunjas you know different in the respect that those younger guys are fighting for a spot you know to be recognized to be considered for the squad uh, in the future obviously they're going to be spending a lot of times with the reserves um, and then guys like Pavard. Uh, and ARP, you had guys who were fighting for their spot in the senior squad, trying to make that good first impression. So I think even though we came out 2-1 losers in this game to Arsenal, I think there was a good balance between both of those things, especially with you know such a makeshift lineup. You know, Thomas Muller playing up front, Thiago Alcantara at the six, Johansson Tolisso just in front of him. Again, it was good to see Tolisso back. You know, it's been so long since we've seen him, you know, get solid minutes under his belt. He finally looks like he's getting closer and closer to 100%, which is great to see. And then, of course, Poznanski, the poor guy, scores an own goal. And then 48 hours later, you know, he's gone. But um, again, I think it was getting the creeks out in this game. 
I think we saw in the next two games that we're going to discuss next that, um, you know, the ebb and flow got a lot better. The balance between the squads Kovac would decide to use in either half of either game got a lot better. And I think uh, we definitely saw that against Real Madrid and Milan. Yeah. And before anybody asks, no, we did not give Jake the Poznanski treatment. We did not ship him off to Dusseldorf. Uh, with with Lewis Poznanski. So Jake Jake will definitely be back with us. Yeah, and then Tom, I think you brought up a lot of great points. And one of the things that I, I really came away from the first game uh, focused on was versatility. And it's been such a key word for Nico Kovac. And I think over the next two games, you saw a lot of that strength for each individual player, their, their versatile play, being flexible and able to move around. I think that was a key theme in each game. And I think Nico Kovac is starting to get an understanding of how to use these players. And the players, to their credit, are definitely able to move around uh, a lot more than, I would say, a, a lot of other teams' rosters. I think Nico has some, some players that he can use in different spots this season. And I think he's going to do that to maximize the talent he's got on the roster. So moving forward, the next game was Bayern. And it's a contest against Real Madrid, which... Bayern, I thought, just was great. And they had the 3-1 to one victory over Los Blancos. We had goals from Tolisso, Lewandowski, and Serge Gnabry, and also the infamous red card to Sven Ulreich, who <laughs> still, I can't believe we saw that. But anyway, uh, you know, I thought it was a great effort from Bayern. We saw a lot of good things. Uh, the midfield, I thought, was terrific. And, you know, Lewandowski just had a, a tremendous goal. You know, it was there were a lot of things to be excited about. Tom, when you looked at that matchup, considering, I, I know, we all know it was just a preseason match, but considering kind of the stage that we were on, this was still Real Madrid. There were still some excellent players on the pitch. What were your thoughts coming out of that game? Yeah, I mean, while it was a preseason fixture, I mean, both sides, both Bayern and Real Madrid, you could easily say very, very close to full-strength starting 11. I mean, Hazard, Benzema, Asensio up front, Modric, Cruz, Isco in the middle, Marcelo, Sergio Ramos, who I severely dislike, Rafael Varane and Carvajal, and then Courtois in goal. I mean, yes, it's preseason, but you can still take a lot of things away. And, you know, I know when I was live-tweeting this, you know, sifting through uh, the Twitter feed, you know, everyone that I was, you know, reading for on Twitter really got the sense that this had the verve of a Champions League knockout stage game, despite it being a preseason friendly. And I know that both teams were definitely both up for it. And I think that you could tell with the pace of the game, Thomas Muller was actually speaking after this match, you know, Kovac had basically been working with the squad in the buildup to this game, you know, working on when to press, Madrid are obviously, like us, a team that likes to play out of the back very tidily. And when they're not allowed to do that um, and you're able to disrupt that successfully, you can really cause a lot of problems. And I think that showed uh, in certain phases, especially in the first half. And I know we'll get into players who had strong um, ICC tournaments uh, in just a little bit, but definitely helps when you have vintage Manuel Neuer in vintage Manuel Neuer form. I think he well and truly was one of the reasons we were able to stay in that game, especially in the first half. He had a number of saves against Hazard, uh, a few decent ones against Benzema, who was having one of the worst games of his life uh, that night, thankfully for us. But again, it was good to see that intensity. I think if you look at this game compared to the Arsenal game, it was night and day. Both teams were up for it. 
Uh, Bayern came out on top. They successfully implemented the press when they wanted to, falling back into a compact shape when they needed to. They made a lot of changes at halftime, as did Real Madrid. It'd be safe to say that Real Madrid, maybe their second starting 11, was uh, significantly weaker than Bayern's. Um, and they were also a little bit behind in the preseason tour. The preseason started a bit later uh, than Bayern's. But nonetheless, a great test for Bayern um, and, and mission accomplished in that sense. Um, Kimmich, that error, I, I don't know what he was thinking about. But, yeah, that's whatever. It's preseason. Uh, Rodrigo scored a very nice free kick. There's a very funny uh, video of Sula taunting him when he's in the wall, basically mouthing to him, go ahead, try it, try the free kick. And, of course, he scored it. But, yeah, that's never a red card in my books. I mean... Ulrich purposely moved out of the way so that he didn't make contact. Rodrigo made the most of it, whatever, preseason. I really hope we draw them again in the Champions League and give them a proper whopping, but that's neither here nor there. Um, let's get on to the next game. Yeah, Tom, and a couple of key points I think you, you made was the excitement level that really was in the arena that day. And I think it was, to me, and I had to watch the game on delay because I was at the Philadelphia Union game earlier in the night, I was I came away super impressed by by Bayern. I felt excited watching the game, even knowing it was just an international champions cup match. And, you know, having you know, seeing how both teams really went at each other full tilt, I came away just super impressed. And I think that was to me very eye opening and led me to think maybe maybe there's something going on here with Bayern. And and, and as we got to the third game, I think against Inter Milan or AC Milan, I'm sorry, we really did see a dominant performance. And I know a lot of people will say, well, it was, you know, AC Milan it was their first game. It was Bayern's third. They were so far ahead of, uh, you know, where AC Milan was at this stage in terms of fitness. But I have to be honest, I, I thought Bayern completely outplayed Milan in that game. I thought even though the score was only one nothing, that Bayern just, they showed me something a tenacity, a tenacity and an aggression on offense that, that I don't think we saw a ton last year. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to really say too many bad things about the effort last year because I don't think that was a primary issue. But this Bayern team, and again, I know it's just preseason, they looked fearless offensively. And I think even though they've had some shifting in the back defensively, I feel like the forwards just look more confident, maybe even have more confidence in their defenders at this stage. And again, the season is young. They were still in the United States when they played this game. But I, again, came away thoroughly impressed. Leon Goretzka, of course, had the goal right before halftime. That was the difference maker. But overall, uh, just a dominant performance in my mind from Bayern. I never felt threatened watching the game. I just felt like Byron was in control the whole time. Tom, how did you see this one? Yeah, again, um, just to piggyback off of what you said, it was great to see the ICC come full circle with this with this match. While the scoreline wasn't very flattering uh, for Byron, they did get the job done. It was a complete, comprehensive performance. Uh, with actually, if, if what I noticed, a bit of a mix of the starting lineups from the previous two games, you know, uh, a little mix of guys who had started in both matches versus guys who had come on in the second half. So he really wants to see, you know, which players can mesh uh, with one another. Can they all, you know, adapt to the lineups that they're in? Uh, I thought the midfield of Goretzka, Tolisso, and Sanchez um, did very, they're very excellently. I will say AC Milan did have 
um, you know, a, a bit of a surge right from the op opening period. I think they did have a, a couple of shots, a couple of dangerous situations towards the beginning of the match, but I think that's one of those things that um, that was quickly hashed out. You know, Bayern adjusted to that, closed up some of the spaces that they were maybe giving um, in between the defense and the, uh, the midfield. I think this was the first time we had seen a back line of uh, Alfonso Davies, Pavard, uh, Niglas Sula, and Yashua Kimmich. Um, Davies, I think, even went up to uh, left mid at one point during this game. Um, and again, like like much like the Real Madrid game, uh, Milan, their preseason did start a bit later um, than Bayern's, and I think even later than Real Madrid. So they were a team who was, you know, fresh off of, you know, their holidays, getting back to training camp. Um, and again, like some of the challenges that were just flying in, I know I was speaking with you earlier, some of these games that I've watched in preseason, not only Bayern, it's like, what are these guys thinking? You know, this is preseason. You know, am I really watching a preseason game? And I know um, that a lot of people listening right now are pretty much predicting where I'm segueing. you know, that challenge on uh, Kingsley Coman that prompted him to, you know, and Coman is, as we all know, a guy who has, you know, significant ankle issues. He's had that same ankle issue. But nonetheless, we all know his injury history with that ankle, and that's exactly what Kalanju, Kalanglu, whatever his name is, went after. And I have never seen him, you know, whether it's a DFB Pokal final, regular season Bundesliga match, uh, Champions League knockout stage match, I've never seen him get up with such ferocity. And I've seen him take challenges that are much, much, you know, stronger than that. But, I mean, it was obvious, I think, Kalanglu, I think what he was trying to do was just uh, make a tactical foul, but it looked a lot worse than it was, and he basically wound up kicking Coman uh, in the ankle. But he got up, man. I like, I know I was telling you off air. It looked like he was gonna go and just like swing at him because he was not slowing down. And the only reason nothing happened is because good old, old uh, you know, Fonzie he stepped in between the two of them and kind of um, you know prevented things from getting any worse. So credit to him, the young guy. I think definitely earned a couple of merit badges there by stepping in between the two of them. But again, just to go off of that point, like the, that intensity um, in a preseason match, while it is concerning when things like that happen, it was good to see Bayern be able to respond to that and keep control. You know, a lot of times players can lose their heads in situations like that, especially some of the younger guys. But, you know, credit to Bayern for keeping their shape, staying compact, you know, um, bossing possession when they had to, uh, getting the job done, fine goal from Goretzka. And I know that we're going to get into some of the players that we really enjoyed watching in this tournament, and I am going to pick out one from that game in particular when we get into that segment that played really well. So uh, let's keep going. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a it's a funny thing mentioning the, the Kingsley-Coman near fight there because we all know Coman's history with uh, Robert Lewandowski on the, on the training ground when those two came to blows last year. And I think you're right, Tom. I think that uh, Kingsley Coman was going to throw hands right there. And Alfonso Davies, being the uh, good-natured and quick-acting friend that he is to Kingsley Coman, stepped in and saved him from what probably probably was going to be a suspension of some sort or at least a huge fine. I don't know. But it, was, uh, it certainly added some tension to that what everyone else would probably say meaningless preseason game. But... I think everybody watched a little bit more attentively uh, for the rest of that game after Kingsley Coman shot up out of a cannon and looked like he wanted to kill someone. But <laughs> moving on from the actual games, one of the fun things we get to do after a tour like this is look at some of the players on the roster who first stood out and made an impression on us for whatever reason, and then some of the players who might have struggled. 
And I know, Tom, you've got some good ideas of some players that that really stood out to you. So why don't you talk through some of the players you thought really caught your eye? So first off, um, for a lot of reasons, one player who really caught my eye, and I know that a lot of people will definitely know this who follow uh, my live tweets on Twitter, um, was Renato Sanchez. You know, he's a guy who just just has never quite got his feet on the ground at Bayern. He had a terrible loan spell with uh, Swansea City in the Premier League before coming back. You know, he's had his injury problems. You know, he's said he's worked things out with Kovac. They've had positive conversations. Kovac has sold me on being a pivotal part of Bayern's future, you know, saying that I'm going to get minutes and I'm going to get used. And at the end of the season, we had that preseason friendly where Sanchez is, you know, supposedly shouting, oh, only 45 minutes more of Bayern, and then I'm free, essentially. I'm on holiday, and then I'm going to go somewhere else. And then he's used quite a bit in uh, a lot of the games in the um, International Champions Cup. And one of the moments, one of the defining moments that really caught my eye about this some people might find it insignificant, but it was during the Real Madrid game in the first half, and I'm trying to remember looking at the lineup. It was either it was one of the center backs. It was either uh, Boateng or Martinez who had started at center back in that game. Just played him a very simple six-yard pass, um, and he's getting clo- closed down a little bit by uh, Luka Modric. And the way that Sanchez just took the ball, spun it with a little bit of a uh, outside-of-the-foot turn, and just completely almost with one arm, just completely um, out-muscled Modric, you know, using his shoulder, you know, his abdomen and that strength he has in the upper body um, and in his abs and just completely rolled off Modric, a world-class defender, you know, a a guy who, you know, was one of the stars of the last World Cup. It's like this guy, and it just rolls him off like he's not even there. And I know I had tweeted about it, and it got quite a bit of attention, but it was one of those things, to me, it just really spoke volumes as to, you know, how far his confidence has come. I know it's only preseason. I know not too much should be made of it, but he just looked like so much more of a confident player. Um, and, and that was just one moment. And I think right after he had rolled off, he had gone and he had played a, a nice through ball. It was either to uh, Muller or Coman who was making a run down that that left flank. But to me, that was just a, a brief flash of something. This is what Sanchez can be, you know, if he's in the right frame of mind. If Kovac, um, you know, and Bayern's coaching staff, Hansi Flick as well, can keep him motivated, you know, keep him positive um, and not let him get down on himself if he has, you know, one or two bad performances in a row or does a couple things wrong, you know, he can really be a pivotal piece for Bayern if he plays in that same vein and keeps that confidence high. And that was just something that really uh, stood out to me. And I I think a lot of issues with him in the past just have had to do with decision-making, you know, make playing the wrong pass at the wrong time, being in the wrong space at the wrong time, stepping to close down at the wrong time, leaving someone for dead, you know, in a 2v1 or a 3v1 situation behind him. Um, and I think all of his minutes in the, the ICC really showed that he's matured in that sense. A lot of what I saw from him, you know, maybe sometimes playing the safer option, but also the correct option instead of trying to do something a bit audacious or, uh, you know, something a bit more high risk that might result in a, in a bad error and putting your team in a, in a bad situation. Yeah. And that Tom, that's a great point because I think you're a hundred percent right. The, the Renato Sanchez that we saw during the ICC looked completely different than what we've seen in the past. He was confident he looked sure of himself. He looked sure of the decisions that he was making. And I, for one, I've never been on Team Renato. He's been a disappointment, frankly, in my eyes since they've signed him. 
He just had a terrible spell. It seemed like he couldn't make the right decisions on or off the field with how he approached his professional career. But there's something different now. And maybe he just doesn't care anymore. Maybe he stopped caring what other people think. But he showed me a lot of progress. You made a lot of excellent points about Sanchez there, Tom. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, with this reinvigoration, this reincarnation of Sanchez, so to speak, I'm really excited to see, um, A, how often he's utilized and, um, you know, B, how well he's able to really grab those opportunities by the horns um, and roll with it. You know, we have, um, just after the Super Cup, we have uh, round one of the DFB Pokal uh, coming up against the Energy Cottbus. You know, this is a great opportunity for him, and I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him um, in the starting lineup in the min- midfield alongside either uh, Taliso, uh, Tiago, or whoever it is, depending on the lineup that uh, Kovac chooses for that um, given circumstance. Um, one of the other guys who really impressed me, and this is going on the same, going in the same vein of current players, uh, not any of our new guys, was uh, Kingsley Coman. And part of why, uh, if you had asked me after the first or second game, was he one of the guys who like really stood out? I'd, maybe I'd be on the fence, you know, because a lot of us were focused on some of the newer guys, some of the guys coming back from injury, um, some of the guys who are really fighting for a spot in the, in the squad. But uh, I remember I had wrote about it. Uh, I think it was in between, or no, it was, excuse me, just after the Milan game because it had to do with that uh, Kalanglu challenge. You know, he's basically, in an interview, was he was asked about the ICC. He was asked about, you know, how he feels under Kovac, Hansi Flick, what his um, predictions are for the upcoming season. Um, and he also was asked about that challenge, which justifiably, he said, it really irritated him, you know, given his uh, injury history with that ankle. Um, but what he also said was that, you know, yeah, I I've, have been feeling good during this ICC. You know, I've been doing, uh, you know, all the work, putting in that that effort in every training session, you know, doing what I can in each match. And he said he's not yet 100%. And to me, in almost every game, of the ICC that he was involved in, um, when he was involved, I should say, rather, because he did play in all of them, he just, every time he got the ball with a couple of yards of space in front of him, he just looked like he was going to cause problems for the opposition. I mean, we all know that he's very quick, um, opening his hips, changing directions, you know, doing his little twinkle toes on the edge of the box um, and whipping the ball in. I think people would say one of his few downsides is that sometimes his final product isn't quite there sometimes he chooses to make a pass when he could clearly go for goal but still for me in all of these games he was always a threat when he had that space he just looked like when he wanted to he could effort effortlessly just turn on the jets and automatically get a couple yards of space for himself to beat his defender get his body in between the ball and the defender uh to beat him to the byline and and play a dangerous ball in and for me the fact that he's saying he's not even 100% yet, like I am keeping my fingers crossed that he doesn't get hurt because I cannot wait to see what he's like if he is 100%, 110%, you know, come, you know, a couple weeks into the season. And then last but not least, the last guy I was very, very impressed with, one of the new guys, Benjamin Pavard. One of the games that really stuck out to me was the uh, the last and final game against uh, Milan. I know that um, a lot of you also follow us on Twitter. You might recall I had started basically a count, or a tally rather, of how many times he had headed clearances. This kind of segues into all of the pieces from his whole tournament that I really liked. For him, this was a big test of 
Okay, Kovac is going to put him in there. He's going to utilize him as a center back, a right back, both positions that he can play. He's going to put him with different defenders, going to see how he operates with Boateng, Martinez, Alaba, Kimmich, Nicolas Sula, with Thiago just in front of him, or Martinez either side of him or just in front of him. So for him, this was a real test. You know, how does he fit into the system? And I think that he really proved his versatility. Um, when Kimmich wasn't out there at right back and he was playing right back or at center back in a back three when they played with three center backs, I think he was really good with knowing where to be, whether it's going forward, whether it's getting square for one of his teammates when Bayern are you know, basically playing out of the back or you know, passing from back to front, you know, when to retreat, when to step you know, where to be on set pieces. And I think that Milan game was really one of the occasions where everything came to fruition and everything that he's good at that I just talked about was on display. I mean, he was the first guy to almost every corner to head it out, every set piece. He was flying up. I think it was it Singh. Yeah, it was Sarpet Singh. He had a uh, slightly deflected uh, perfect cross to Singh when he was going forward. And uh, unfortunately, Singh just put it wide at the near post. But you know, that would have completely encapsulated what was a fantastic performance from Pavard. You know, he just, like I said, knew where to be. Tactical awareness was was brilliant. His distribution was very wise out of the back. He knew when to go forward, join in the attack. And, you know, it, if he's not going to be breaking into the starting lineup uh, ahead of Yashua Kimmich or Boateng or Sula, depending on whether Kovac wants to utilize him more as a center back or a right back, I mean, you know, he is not a bad backup utility option to have, you know, because that is a guy who, for me, could easily walk into the starting lineup. I know that me saying that will definitely receive some some criticism and some some arguments, but from what I saw of him in the, the ICC, especially that Milan game, there's no reason why he couldn't be, um, you know, starting in this Bayern team, especially if maybe uh, Kovac does want to utilize Kimmich uh, in a central defensive midfielder role from time to time. And now, Chuck, I know you had a, a few players that you had your eye on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you brought up some some great names there. Coman was absolutely disruptive across the board. I'm, I'm super excited to see what he can do during the season. Pavard kind of washed away all the doubt that I've had about him. Uh, I definitely was a little skeptical coming off of his, se- his season with Stuttgart, but I thought he was excellent for the tournament as well. Uh, some of the, the players that I was – came away and I was really impressed with uh, Thomas Muller was asked to do some things he hasn't often been asked to do of late played up high as the nine he switched out switched out wide to play the wing and I think that his versatility and his ability to create offense and I mean we always talk about how he creates space and just makes things so much easier for his teammates I thought we saw some great examples of that during the tour and I think that he is well positioned to have a great season. This was as energetic uh, as I've seen Muller at this stage of the preseason, at least in the last three to four years. I thought he looked like he had a little bit more jump in his step. Maybe he's a little more motivated this season, but uh, I absolutely was excited by what I saw from him. Another, uh, this is actually a set. I I came away super impressed with the play of Manuel Neuer and Sven Ulreich. They combined, uh, I thought, were excellent. Uh, They were put in some difficult spots. They made big saves. Uh, Sven Ulreich uh, got some brownie points, even though it was kind of a a really weak and undeserved red card. The fact that he got one, I loved it just because it's Sven the wall. So 
Um, you know, I was a big fan of how he played. He doesn't get a lot of credit uh, on the roster, obviously, with Neuer there. But both guys showed that they are ready for the season. And, you know, you don't like to think about Neuer going down. He just said he was, you know, the, the best. it's the best he's felt in years, so that's great. But even if something does happen to Neuer, I was really happy with what I saw from Ulrich, and I think he's well-positioned to, to step in when he needs to. I'm kind of interested to see if Kovac is a little more willing to uh, give Neuer some rest than in years past. So that'll be one thing to keep an eye on. But a great tour, a great tournament for both of those players. And finally, I think we all know where I'm going with the last player uh, on my list of, of people who impressed me on the tour, and that's Fita Arp. I thought that the hashtag ARP train was uh, it was enlightening to see him used in the way that he was. We had heard so much about his ability as a striker, and we also heard so much about his struggles last year for Hamburg. And I think that he showed us something uh, with his play in this tournament. It let me know something's there. It made me start to wonder, is Arp one of those players that just needed to be in a different environment to really push himself and to get the, the most out of his ability? Uh, you know, Niko Kovac was able to use Arp as a wing. Uh, he also played up top a bit. And it showed that he, again, is one of these versatile players that Kovac loves. If he can use Arp on both wings and as a backup to Robert Lewandowski, that enhances his value to the roster so much. And I honestly did not think he had the type of vision that he showed in the International Champions Cup games. I knew he was a striker. I had seen him play on the German youth level, and I knew that he had the ability to score. He's got a great nose for goal. That's obvious. Uh, he actually had a goal disallowed on the tour, and, and you know that those were some of the things that happens. He had a handball that, that disallowed the goal, but I, I was super impressed with the way he saw the field and the move he made on Marcelo, which even Marcelo gave him a pat on the back of appreciation, I think that showed this kid has skill. And this is something for us to be excited about. This is a young player on a somewhat older roster who is versatile, who can be moved around, and who might be able to come in and provide a spark off the bench. I'm really excited about ARP. I think a lot of you out there are as well. We've got the hashtag ARP train going pretty strong on Bavarian Football Works. So... We'll keep that going, and we'll be following him very closely as the season winds down. But as for now, we're going to take a bit of a break, and then we'll be back to talk over some transfers with you. Welcome back to Bavarian Podcast Works, and thanks for everybody for sticking with us. Tom and I are having a blast this week talking about the International Champions Cup. But right now, we're going to transition over to some of the hot transfer rumors that are out there. And we're going to start with Nicolas Pepe, who was a who had a phenomenal season with Lille, but is on the verge of officially signing a contract with Arsenal. In fact, he's having some pictures taken with him in an Arsenal kit. And lucky for me, Tom is an expert on Nicolas Pepe. So, Tom, why don't you give us a breakdown about Pepe, his season, how you think this transfer is going to work out, and, and do you think Byron missed out on him? Because I know he was so closely linked to Byron for a while. But once this Leroy Sané talk kind of heated up, Pepe really fell to the back burner. Uh, this one, especially as a dual Byron and Liverpool fan, is just so confusing to me, especially for the fee 
I should say the re- reported fee of seventy-two million pounds to Arsenal. Pivotal, pivotal, if not the main piece as to why Lille uh, qualified for their first ever Champions League campaign in finishing second in Ligue 1, behind, of course, only PSG, who won the league uh, by more than 15 points, 16 points to be exact, and basically had said he was ready to leave, ready to take the next step of his career. You know, one of the best seasons of his life, scoring 22 goals and 11 assists in Ligue 1. Without a doubt, one of the best players in Ligue 1 this season. You know, following up on a strong season from uh, 2017, 2018. And it's just, this one perplexes me for a number of reasons. I know that we have joked on our, um, you know, Slack channel that we communicate on for all of our stories and rumors and whatnot uh, about doing a, a potential segment called Misconnections, kind of like they do on Craigslist where people, you know, post about their misconnections, whether it's like a little love story or if they're looking for something particular. But this, again, for me is just... You know, the start of the summer, there was, you know, a relatively short list of transfer prospects for Bayern. And I know that uh, Jake was well and truly on board the Pepe train, as I have been pretty much until now, um, that he's taking pictures in his official kit release and photos for uh, Arsenal. Now, I know as a Liverpool fan, we can say technically it's not over until it's over because Nabil Fakir, uh, if you recall, a few summer windows ago had taken... All of his pictures in his Liverpool kit, official number release, his first interview, welcome to Liverpool. Liverpool had um, some reservations about his knee problems, tried to negotiate the price down. Leon said, nope, no thank you, we're going to keep him for the time being, and that transfer completely collapsed. But it does look as if Nicolas Pepe is going to complete a transfer pending the fee being agreed upon, which it looks like it already has been, uh, pending a medical £72 million uh, from Lille uh, to Arsenal. And this is a guy who has said he wants to leave, play for a big club in the Champions League. Yes, Lille qualified for their first Champions League campaign. His manager um, at Lille, Christophe Galtier, even said, you know what, I can picture him leaving us and playing for a big club in red. This is verbatim what he said, a big club in red. Now, if there's some loose translation in French, to where a big club in red means that Arsenal is a better club than Bayern right now. I, I would love for someone to help me figure that one out because he's basically left a club that's going to the Champions League for a club that is not in the Champions League and quite frankly has been in dire straits in the summer. Their captain has basically refused to go on their preseason tours, forcing his way out. By the way, that's Lauren Kinshelny. French center back who has completely refused to go on the tour and is causing a buttload of problems now. Really can't figure this one out. And for me, while $72 million might be a bit steep for a guy like Pepe, he was a guy I really could have seen do so well for Bayern, especially with his versatility. He could play as a wide winger. He could even play as a central attacking midfielder. He's the kind of guy that will do whatever is asked of him. You know, he's never one to make... Uh, a big deal out of anything, let his ego get in the way because he doesn't really have a big ego. He's always ready to put his head down, do what he has to do for the team. You know, I think he's shown that in his time at Lille. I just think he would have been such a perfect fit um, at Bayern. But I know we're going to get into some of the other big transfer rumors. But again, I mean, why he chose Arsenal is still beyond me. Unai Emery on the Arsenal board must have sold him on something. 
um, to the extent that he's going to be the player of the future somehow alongside uh, Bumiang, uh, Lacazette, Mesut Ozil, uh, guys like that. But, I mean, credit to Arsenal for completing this transfer. I think he's going to prove to be uh, a fantastic player in the Premier League as much as it pains me to see him go there instead of Bayern. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not really going to shed any tears over the loss of Pepe. I think that, you know, I I admire his talent. You gave a a great rundown of his season and what he brings to the table, Tom. But I I just look at the price and I think, you know, and I know it's not my money, so I really shouldn't care. But I think of where else I could spend that money. And I just didn't see Pepe as a pressing need. And I know that sounds totally ridiculous since – Everyone, including club officials, say Bayern needs at least one, maybe two wingers. But I didn't think dropping, you know, 70 million euros or whatever it ultimately ends up being for Arsenal would have been a wise move for Bayern. I just think that money could be spent better elsewhere. I think there's actually better options. But, you know, he's a talent. He's going to make that team better. It just wasn't for me with Bayern. So, yeah, we'll move on to talk about maybe a situation I'm a little bit closer to, Tom. Uh, we'll go over and we're going to talk about RB Leipzig's Timo Werner. Now, by now, you've all heard the totally ridiculous story that was out there last Friday. Uh, the Southwest Press uh, in Germany had said that it was an imminent move uh, for Timo Werner to head over to Bayern Munich, which was roundly uh, kind of refuted everywhere on the internet from all the major German news outlets. Uh, So as far as an update on Werner goes, there is no real update on his status. What we do know and what has been reported is that RB Leipzig wants him to stay. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann wants Timo Werner to be the centerpiece of his offense. The problem is right now that Werner does not want to sign the contract extension that he's been offered. And for whatever reason, he's still holding out hope. He's lying in the weeds, so to speak. Uh, He wants to move to Bayern. Uh, From my perspective, I'm looking at this from from Werner's viewpoint. He wants to be at Bayern. He knows that the club wants him as well. Unfortunately, Sané Mania has taken over. And he now is forced to sit back and wait to see how this all plays out. What's happening in the background here is that RB Leipzig is losing its leverage by the day. Uh, So what may have been a 50 million euro fee uh, at, you know, sometime in March is now probably down in that 35 million euro area. And it's going to continue to slide. Uh, Werner has made it pretty clear he is only interested in Bayern at this point. And if RB Leipzig lets him sit, and he does not sign the extension, it's going to risk losing him at the end of next season. So, Tom, what do you think about Werner? Obviously, he's a striker. He can play out wide as he's done for the German national team. Uh, Do you think he's a player that could come in and help out immediately? And do you think that he's got the type of versatility that Niko Kovac is going to be able to feature? Uh, To answer that question simply and holistically, yes. I think he is a guy... I don't want to say he can walk right into Byron's team, but I do believe that he possesses that versatility. I mean, quite frankly, obviously he's going to have to deal with the fact, as far as being an out-and-out striker, playing second fiddle to Robert Lewandowski, 
Um, and then also you have a guy like Fita Arp in the mix who can also feature, you know, as, as a striker as he's shown. But one of the things that I do want to allude to, it's like so often you rarely ever see Bayern go with, you know, a system that employs two out-and-out strikers up front. You know, I think some of the only times we would really see that in matches, whether it was, you know, back when Ancelotti was still around, um, when Jupp Heynckes took over after that catastrophic, you know, start of that season, or whether it's Niko Kovac, the only time they really seem to revert to playing two strikers up front um, is when they're chasing a game and they need to get back into it and they need a goal from somewhere. Sandro Wagner used to be that guy, you know, with his physical presence, his height. But in a different package, you know, Werner brings that pace, that versatility, and also the nose for goal and, and the finishing capabilities that are not that far off of uh, Lewandowski. And I think that um, a lot of what's going on is Leipzig trying to figure out what exactly they can do with him as far as the future. Because if he, if he stays at Leipzig and doesn't sign a new contract, I mean, he's another guy. I mean, could you imagine having Lewandowski and Werner in our team and then a couple of years down the road, they're both guys that are bagging, you know, 15-plus goals in any given Bundesliga season and we can go back and say, yeah, we got both of these guys for free. Because as we all know, I mean, Bayern, uh, our front office, Uli Honus, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge aren't necessarily the guys who are going to say, this is a player we want. We absolutely want to do everything to get this player into our squad and we're going to pay whatever. That's not how they operate. You know, Rummenigge was just um, interviewed recently and he was saying that he thinks it's ridiculous, you know, how high footballers wages are. And he br- brought up uh, Antoine Griezmann's recent move uh, from Atletico Madrid to uh to barcelona talking about the 120 million euro transfer fee how that's ridiculous you have to look at it from net spend and net salary for how much that player is going to be making costing the club each year Um, especially if we were to get Werner on a free next summer it definitely seems as if that might be the best approach from this point unless Leipzig you know kind of behind the curtain so to speak are communicating with representatives from Bayern you know maybe with that in mind we can see how Werner does in the Hinrunda for Leipzig under Julian Nagelsmann, um, who, by the way, Leipzig have already had a pretty decent transfer window, um, relatively under the radar, bringing in Christopher Nkunku um, from Paris Saint-Germain, Adamana Lukman uh, from Everton, Hans Wolf from RB Salzburg, even uh, Phil Schauner, veteran goalkeeper from um, Hanover 96 as a backup for uh, Peter Gulashi. But anyways, just to kind of tie that together, I think that... Um, like with a lot of transfers, there might be something going on behind the scenes there as far as Leipzig maybe trying to negotiate uh, a certain fee and um, you know terms for potentially the winter because the last thing they would want to do is let him go for free to Bayern. It, it, it is about that time for us to wrap this up. And I want to say thanks to everybody for listening once again. I know we've been a little bit haphazard in our recording this summer, but we're going to be looking to get on a regular schedule again. It's, uh, you know, the summertime blues. So, again, thanks to everybody. You can always catch me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter, or you can read the Daily Schmankerl every morning on Bavarian Football Works. Tom, where can all of our listeners find you? Best place to find me, ladies and gents, is at Bavarian FB Works on Twitter. I'm kind of the man behind the mask, so to speak, for most of the stuff that goes on there. Every once in a blue moon or any other kind of big lunar occasion, I will pop into my own personal channel which is at tommy adam 71 uh you can always give me a shout there um but yeah it's been lots of fun i hope to continue on the pod and uh thanks everyone for listening
Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hi, everyone. It's Jake. I just wanted to add two quick anecdotes to the end of this episode. First, you may have noticed that in our transfer segment, we did not talk about Leroy Sané. That's because this episode was recorded earlier in the week before we found out from a report via Kicker that it was almost set that Leroy Sané was going to be coming to Bayern Munich. When that officially gets announced and we know a little bit more about the term, we will go ahead and produce an emergency episode of this podcast. Second. You may not have heard from us for a while, but that's because we're working on this project that we will begin releasing starting this Monday, August 5th, and that is some Bundesliga preview episodes. They're short episodes talking about games to look out for, players we think will make an impact, and then finally, where we think each team will end up. We will go through 17 teams, basically every team not named Bayern Munich, and we will be releasing them possibly two episodes per day all the way up until the season starts. So the only way to make sure that you are up to date with every single team and episode is to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify because we won't be releasing individual blog posts for all of these. So until those episodes come out, we will see you guys later. Thank you very much for listening and Auf Wiedersehen.